The Lymphoma Voices podcast brings you a series of conversations around topics of interest for people affected by lymphoma, the fifth most common cancer in the UK. Hi there, I'm Karen Burnell. I'm one of the Regional Development Managers at Lymphoma Action with Angela Waynes. Now, I first met Angela when she came along to when we had the face-to-face support meetings, she came along to the Lancaster meeting and the Kendall meeting. So she's very kindly agreed uh, to this interview today. So Angela, would you like to tell everyone a bit about yourself? So hi, as Karen said, I'm Angela Wayne and I'm a consultant health psychologist with North Cumbria Integrated Care NHS Trust. And I work with people um, who have a range of long-term health conditions. So that's people who've got things like cardiac and respiratory problems, as well as people who've got cancer or living with cancer. And that's the main part of my work. Um, The reason we exist as a service is because living well with cancer is something that most people find that they need some kind of support with. And we are just one of the ways that people can get support with that. To start off then, Angela, can you tell us what is mental health and emotional wellbeing? Well, I think these are terms that get bandied around and it's not surprising that they can be a bit confusing really, Karen. Um, So if we think about mental health as being just another facet of our general health, just like we think about our physical health and well-being, our mental health and well-being is exactly the same. And that's when we think about people having a point of balance where they can manage with everyday changes in life, where they can do the things that they want to do, then we'd say that they've got really good balanced emotional well-being or good mental health. And that contributes to how their physical health is as well. So it's really, really important. But what we know is that like our physical health, things can change that day to day. And obviously cancer is one of those things that can have a really significant impact on people's emotional wellbeing and on their mental health. Very often we don't focus on our mental health or on mental health conditions. Why is it important Uh, that we should be doing that? I'm I'm really glad you asked that Karen because mental health is really important to our general well-being. So when you're living with cancer it can be very easy to just focus on the physical side of things and there are really good reasons for that either because you might be on active monitoring which many people with lymphoma or with blood cancers are. It might be because you're on active treatment or you're waiting for a treatment plan to start or you're due for scans. And so the focus is often on the physical aspects of our well-being rather than the emotional parts of our well-being. But actually, when we feel emotionally well, it's much easier to manage day to day with the challenges of physical ill health as well, or other difficulties in life, because when cancer comes along, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. There are still things happening in our families, in our workplaces that we have to manage, and having good emotional health really helps us to manage that. Um, Often, we're not used to talking about our mental health or about our feelings. It's not a thing that comes up day to day. 
So sometimes it can be starting to learn a whole new language and way of bringing these things up. And actually that's a challenge at the time when we're already dealing with big challenges. If you've just had a cancer diagnosis or you've been living with cancer for some time. You mentioned physical health um, alongside mental health there. So what are the links between mental health and physical health? Well, if we go to some really basic things, Karen, so just thinking about what it's like day to day. Um, if I'm thinking about doing this video today, actually, I felt quite anxious about this. I was quite nervous about coming along and doing this video, even though I'm doing it from home and I'm talking to you, Karen, who I know well. Um, and what that meant for me was that physically, and still now, I've got a knot in my tummy that I can feel. So if we take a step away from cancer, we can see that just in day-to-day -day life, actually what's going on for us emotionally has an impact on us physically. And that's why it's really important for us to think about mental health and emotional well-being at the same time as thinking about our physical health, because we really can't separate the two. And that's not only when we're thinking about us or the person who's living with cancer, that same thing is happening for their families and their friends and the people around them. And that can all get tied together because we can worry about what's happening for them as well. Um, what we do know is that actually, when people are living with a health condition, a serious health condition, they're actually about 30% more likely to experience things like anxiety and depression. And when we think about it, that's not at all surprising because when you've got a cancer diagnosis, so much changes in life. And whether that's suddenly you've got all these trips to the hospital to fit into an already busy life, or that it's disrupting the things that you do day to day that are what makes life meaningful for you, it might be interrupting for how you can care for, look after your family, or what happens with your, your work, or just the things that give you pleasure in life. So un it's unsurprising then that when you're living with a cancer diagnosis or you've had treatment for cancer, that it impacts on your emotional well-being because of those disruptions. And actually, our brains have a natural way of, of dealing with those kind of stresses. And that's to usually put us into a fight or flight response or a freeze or flop re response. And both of those mean we've got a very physical response to what is an emotional distress or an emotional um, upset. So those links are very, very solid, Karen. Mm. Perhaps can you talk a bit about some of the parts of having lymphoma, for example, a fear of relapse? Um, absolutely, Karen. And I think, I know this is something you and I have talked about previously with the, the people we meet with, and that's that lymphoma and other blood cancers can be different to some of the other cancers that that people have who I'm working with on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's because there is a lot of uncertainty when you're living with a lymphoma diagnosis or a blood cancer. Um, people are on things like active monitoring. That means sitting with the knowledge that they've got cancer, 
but nothing is actually happening at the moment to um, feel like they're doing something with it. And that can make things feel very, very out of control and very uncertain. And you mentioned about the fear of recurrence or the fear that cancer is going to progress. Actually, that's really, really common and it's something that people don't realize. So in actual fact, about five out of every 10 people who've got a cancer diagnosis have the kind of level of concern that it's gonna come back or it's going to get worse that disrupts their day-to-day -day life. And the other thing that we know about that is that actually that's higher in the families and the friends and the carers of those people. They worry even more than the person who's living with the cancer diagnosis. What's really important to know about that is that just starting to talk about it and to name it can make a huge difference to it. Because realizing that this is something that is normal when you're living with cancer is incredibly important because there are lots of things that tell you that you need to take care of your health, that there are things that you do need to notice. And so that's quite a new job to take on of trying to find the balance between checking in with your body, checking in with your well-being, but not doing it too much that it disrupts life. Do you have any suggestions of how we can all keep positive mental health and emotional well-being? I think there's lots of things that people can do. And the thing that I notice most when I'm working with people is how many strategies they've actually already got that have just fallen off the table and they've stopped noticing them. Um, what I would say, certainly, is the fact that someone is watching these videos and that they've logged onto the Lymphoma Action website means that they're already doing something really positive to support their emotional well-being, their mental well-being and their physical well-being by doing something that is actually caring for themselves. So one of the first things I'd suggest that people do is to just think about what are the things that used to help me before cancer? And are any of those things that I can still do? Might mean doing them in a slightly different form, but if say having exercise was something that helped you previously, but prior to cancer, you maybe went on long runs or long fell walks, says she, obviously I'm from Cumbria. Um, that might not be possible right now, but actually going outside and having a short walk, even if that's a walk in the garden or a walk along the road or driving to somewhere for a, for a walk, to be able to be outside and to be able to notice what's happening in the world. Those are really important things. So giving yourself some time to do that and just ask yourself, what was it that helped me before? And can I do that now can be really useful. The other thing I would say is we often forget to be as kind to ourselves as we are to other people. So often we wouldn't think twice about telling someone else to take it easy or to do something that they enjoyed. But when it comes to ourselves, we apply a different set of rules and they can often be a bit harsher. So one suggestion I make to people is, if you're gonna make a to-do list, start it off with some recharge points on that list. Small things that you enjoy 
or that are really important for you throughout the day. And that might mean sitting down with a cup of coffee and actually sitting down and really enjoying it for five minutes. It might mean doing a short mindfulness exercise, which can be great for just switching our attention from worry thoughts, for example, to something that we want to focus on. And that might be about listening to a piece of music or looking at something in the garden. It can be a whole host of things. But putting whatever it is that's going to help you to have a brief recharge on that list, three or four of them a day, means that you've got those points where you're getting a little bit of a boost and where you can shift your mood slightly. Angela, when would somebody know when to ask for help? I'm really glad you asked that one um, because it's hard to know, isn't it? If you've never been in the position before where you've been concerned about what's happening with your emotional well-being on your mental health, how are you supposed to know when things aren't right anymore? And actually you're trying to do this at the time when things are probably most difficult in life for you, if you're living with a cancer diagnosis as well, or if it's a family member who is. So I would say notice some key things. If you find that your brain is very, very busy with worry thoughts, then that might be a time to get some help. If that's happening so much that it's stopping you from concentrating on things that you want to concentrate on, whether that's your family, whether that's a TV programme or reading a book, then that's a time to, to put a hand up and ask for some help. If you find that you've stopped doing the things that you usually really enjoy doing, and that's not only because maybe physically you can't manage them, but because you've got no sense of motivation to do them, they don't feel like they would be enjoyable anymore. That's another time to put a hand up and ask for help. And if you find that you're cutting yourself off from people more, or maybe avoiding the things that are the places that would have given you pleasure in the past. If you find that life is getting quite small, then that's a time to put up a hand and ask for help. And going back to what you said before, um, Karen, about um, if you're worried about a cancer coming back, if you find that you're needing to speak to your cancer nurse specialist or your GP or your oncologist, a lot to be able to get that reassurance to help to manage those worries, then actually that would be another time where I would say, just mention that to someone because there's lots of help that can be offered, that is available and that is easily accessible. And actually your team really want you to do that because they want the whole of your health to be as well as possible. This isn't just about treating the physical part of your illness, your cancer, this is about making you as well as you can possibly be. And that's the part that you can share with your care team. How can we encourage people to initiate this discussion with the GP or the medical team? I think what I was saying then, Karen, about being part of your care team, your own care team, is really, really important. And I think there's lots of reasons for us not to realise that we're a key part of our own care team. That's because sometimes it doesn't get mentioned that that's, that's what the team is. So if you think about everyone who's around you, that can be the formal medical support. 
So people like your GP, your cancer nurse specialist, your oncologist or your haematologist, um, but also then your family, your friends, colleagues at work, and people in things like the lymphoma action support groups are all part of your team, but at the center of that team is you. And whilst, for example, your, your physical health team, your cancer team, have got lots of answers about your physical health. They can give you scans, they can do blood tests that tell them what's going on there and they can act according to that. What they can't do is tap directly into what's going on for you emotionally, what's happening with your emotional well-being and your mental health. And that's the part that only you can contribute. So that's why it's so important to be able to speak up and say when things feel tricky. Partly because this is completely normal and they will be expecting you to tell them about that. No one is gonna be surprised if you say, actually you're feeling very anxious or you're feeling very low or you're worried about what's happening to your body. It can be lots of different things. They, this is a normal thing to be experiencing and to talk about and your care team, whoever you're talking to, will be very glad that you've shared that information with them so that they can help you to be as well as possible by getting you the right kind of support and care. Would you encourage people to talk to their friends and family as well? Absolutely. If you've got a support network around you, often they really want to help. And one of the things that I notice is that they feel pretty helpless too. It's one of the reasons why we see that family and friends worries about cancer progressing or about what's happening with treatment is actually higher than the person who's living with cancer. So they often want to be given a job that they can actually do. And by talking to them, by asking them to listen, we're giving them a job that actually they can do. That's something useful that they can contribute um, rather than them desperately trying to work out what might be helpful. I know it can be really, really hard though to start talking to people about how you feel or about what your worries are when maybe that's not part of your normal factory settings. And that's true mm -hmm. for most of us. We're good, we're good at asking other people mm -hmm. how they are but we might not be as good at talking about how we are and that might be a thing that we bat off. So even starting to find that language um, can be a challenge. But what the people I work with tell me is that as soon as they've had a conversation with someone and that's whether friends and family or whether it's someone who works in services like me, that actually they find it's a relief. They often describe it as being a weight lifted off them because we start to get some distance. As soon as we've talked about something, we can see it more easily. We've got a step away from it. And often that's where we can find the solutions or the ways out or the ways to change things that we might be worrying about. Or if you're talking at something like the Lymphoma Action Group that you lead, Karen, you realize that this is a, a concern that everybody has and that this is normal. And when you realize it's normal, it becomes less of a worry, even though it hasn't changed, the fact that other people feel the same makes it look different. Angela, we've 
concentrated on the person who has the lymphoma diagnosis, but how about the emotional well-being of the partner, the parent, other friends and family members? Does this all apply to them as well? I'm really glad that you mentioned that because it's it's what we talked about before really, that cancer doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not only the person who's diagnosed, who's affected by that diagnosis, by the treatment, by the waiting and the uncertainty. It's everyone around them. And that's because they're part of that care team as we talked about before, but that can be a real pressure. It's a real pressure because you might not know what to do for the best, what's the most useful thing you can do, but also because that takes a toll on your own physical and emotional well-being. So it's really important to be able to give some attention to that as a carer, as a loved one, to be able to keep on doing the caring that's so important to you and to the person who's, who's living with the cancer diagnosis. And that's applying those same strategies that we've already talked about. It's what we said before, that we're great at thinking about what other people need, oh. but about what we need. So starting with being kind and compassionate to yourself, thinking about the breaks that you need, because that's charging your battery to be able to keep on doing the caring. I often think about if you had an electric car that had a range of 100 miles, you don't set off on a 100 mile journey without planning where you're going to recharge, just in case you get caught in traffic. And that's the same thing for the families and the friends and the carers around someone who's living with cancer. You need your recharges. What's going to make you feel better? Is that going to be going out for a walk? Is it meeting with friends? Is it having a coffee? And plan those into your day as well. You need to be connected in the same way as we talked about before. And seeking help as well. Being open and honest about your own feelings. You might feel scared. You might feel um, low. You might worry about what's coming next. And it's okay to name those things because actually that can help to open up the conversation for the person who's living with cancer as well. What we often try to do on both sides of this as the carers and the support team and the person living with cancer is we try to protect each other and that means that then we don't talk about the difficult things. So being open and honest about what your feelings are, what your fears are, that's really helpful as well and seeking the help but also again looking at what are the things that help you manage day to day and is there a way to do more of those things and I guess in summary I would say just remember that to be able to look after your loved one your friend the person you're caring for you need to be well and that's physically wow and emotionally well so it's not selfish to do that it's a necessity it's not nice to have it's essential if someone is concerned about their own mental health then or has a mental health condition what support is available to them there's there's a whole host of support available so immediately from your cancer nurse specialist who everyone will have all of our cancer nurse specialists are trained to have 
conversations with people and to understand the kind of um, emotional well-being struggles that people might be having in relation to their cancer. So starting from there, you can have that conversation. Our GPs as well, absolutely they want to know and they can direct you to either community support. So things like um, people may or may not have heard of the Improving Access to Psychological Therapies programme, which exists in every area in the country, has different names in different places. So where I work, it's called First Steps in Cumbria and it's called Minds Matter in Lancashire. So it will have different names where you are. But that's, um, that's cognitive behavioural therapy based support that's available um, in your own area. So usually they're working from GPs, surgeries or from local health centres that are easy to access. Um, in a lot of the areas, you can self-refer to that. You don't even know, need to go to your GP, but your GP would be happy to refer you as well. Most places have a service like mine. Um, again, it can be called different things. It might be called a psycho-oncology service, or it might be called psychological therapies for cancer services, or it might be called um, physical health psychology, which is what it's called in, in my service. But that's where you can get additional supports with us. We also have specialist physiotherapists and specialist occupational therapists who can help us to tie that emotional well-being with the physical well-being as well. So I would say speak to your GP first or your cancer nurse specialist and they will help to navigate you to the best help for you. What sort of impact do you think the pandemic has had on people and why? It's, it's had a, a really significant impact on most people. And I think that's really important to notice because sometimes um, some of the, the people who I work with who are living with cancer think that it's only them who are experiencing it as a real struggle and that other people are getting on with it. And actually everybody is really, really struggling with it. It's difficult because it's been difficult everything that we use to support us has changed mm. whether that's seeing people face to face um being able to meet with people being able to go out for a cup of coffee all those little things have changed so that's one of the reasons why it's had such a big impact is because to some degree greater or lesser depending on who the person is it's taken away some of the things we do to manage day to day but also it's been the uncertainty of it. And what I also notice, and this might sound like a strange thing to say, but I think it's really important, is a lot of the people I work with who are living with cancer have found that in many ways, when we look at it, they've managed with the pandemic better than other people because they're used to living with uncertainty. They're used to waiting for the next scan or being on active monitoring or wondering whether that when the next treatment's going to start. So they have strategies that they've developed that they've been able to bring out for this and share with other people that they wouldn't have expected. Another thing that people have talked to me about is how because other people, the people around them are experiencing the same difficulties those people are starting to understand their experiences 
of living with cancer in a different way. So the times when they've effectively had to be in shielding because maybe they've had a stem cell transplant mm. and they've had to be in isolation or they've been receiving chemotherapy and that's meant that they've got compromised immune system and they've been had to be very careful about what they did and where they went and how they looked after their well-being during that time. So it's really important to notice those skills and strategies that people have already developed and that they've brought in, but that's not to take away from the fact that it has been a really difficult time because of that uncertainty and because of the change to our support networks and what we would normally do to cope and manage. Thank you so much for um, joining me in this interview, Angela. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Karen. For more information about lymphoma and the support we can offer to people affected by the condition, please visit the Lymphoma Action website at www.lymphoma-action.org.uk. Lymphoma Action. Inform. Support. Connect.